0: hello hello everybody welcome to have a little insight super excited to get this episode going if you listen to the podcast which obviously you are now so hopefully you have been before we have been pumping this episode for a while welcome to our first women's around table we have five super amazing ladies here today along with myself you will not hear from ryan today because he's a boy So he chose not to participate in this women's roundtable discussion. But um, he was very involved, and thank you to him for producing and putting all of this together. So always a big part of the party, Ryan, just not here with his voice today. So we'll get this started. Our topic today is going to be about what the ideal woman is, what qualifies as being a woman, and building healthy relationships between women. Where are we missing the mark, and how can we align and support each other? We are sitting here with Ashley, Rebecca, Haley, Chantel, and Megan. So, lots of commonalities. Couple of you work in entertainment and film and television. Two social workers going on. And um, most importantly, all women or identifying as women, which is great for a Women's Roundtable so we started with like a facebook chat a couple weeks ago and it started the conversation pretty hot off the bat so okay let's start with this what's important (laughs) to you as a woman and what do you feel is one of the most important for lack of a better word causes around feminism and being a woman in today's society
1: when i read that question that you guys put in the facebook group about what it's like being a woman the biggest word that came to my head was safety and then fear like being a woman to me like I'm also a sexual trauma survivor and I've been in abusive relationships so I feel like a lot of my life is just constant like fear and paranoia and like having to um go over like safety plans in my head leaving my house my phone has to be a hundred percent a gentleman's approaching me does he want directions or is there some kind of ulterior motive I'm unaware of like to me the biggest thing is I just don't think a lot of people understand who aren't women and go through these issues that it's like a huge thing constantly on my mind or any woman's mind really.
2: What I find really interesting about that is that I don't have um, a background having experienced anything that that caused me harm, but I still to this day pretty much every single day encounter situations where I feel exactly the same as you. And so when I had that conversation with a very good friend of mine and our spouses, we were kind of talking about the things that we do. And I'm sure everybody's seen the memes that go around Facebook and other social media things that talk about um, the things that a lot of women do on a daily basis, like carrying their keys in between their knuckles as they're walking down, or making sure that they have their phone fully charged, is something that has never occurred to my partner, who is a white male. And to, you know, my friend's partner as well. And we just had a conversation the other day. I live in an area where there's a beautiful area to walk, but there's a lot of hidden parts. And I said to my friend the other day that I was going through a walk, going for a walk by myself and I was really selective to where I would go. And she's like, oh, when I lived in that area, it was exactly the same to me. Um, and I can tell you that my, my husband walks through that area often and it probably never occurred to him to even think about that. So I think that that's a really interesting thing to kind of start today off with.
3: I honestly, it's funny that you just said you were talking to your spouse about that because if, if for anyone that doesn't know, Ryan, the other host of this podcast, is my boyfriend. And so we live in an apartment building and we park in an, like an underground parking garage. And I like when I was serving really late nights, I would get home sometimes at two o'clock in the morning and I would go park in the parking garage. And I was always really scared to be down there by myself because. Like in my head, I'm going through if something happens to me, like no one can hear me down here. There's no cameras. There's nobody around. Like I just felt so unsafe. So I had to tell him, like, I need to call you when I'm walking through the parking garage because otherwise, like I just I just don't feel safe. And that thought had never crossed his mind either, because for him, he'll just pull and park, walk on home like there's nothing to it. But I get so scared because I feel like I'm just alone down there. And then even just like taking the dog for a walk, like I won't do it at night because I'm afraid that like, I'm afraid something could happen. And so I'll only walk in myself during like broad daylight, I always make sure to stay on streets where there's lots of people out, like I won't go up little side roads, like it's crazy how much it can impact your everyday life. And your partner wouldn't necessarily realize because him also being a white male doesn't go through the same thing. So it was like really eye opening to him when I told him that I was actually scared and needed like needed to call him. And so now that's just a habit. But so it's interesting that you said that.
4: Well, another thing that's kind of interesting about it, too, is that women seem to need to take responsibility of their safety and, you know, of course, you know, you want to make sure that you're safe. You're going to have your keys in your hand. You're going to call somebody to let you know that you're on your way home. You're going to do all the precautionary things. But I find that what happens sometimes if something does happen that's negative, that the first thing that happens is the finger is pointed at the woman and they said, well, what did she do wrong in this situation? Was she wearing a short skirt? Was she walking in a place at night? Was she like, what were the things that she did wrong to who, that she could have prevented the situation from happening instead of looking at the other person who is actually doing the act onto the woman and giving, making them take some sort of responsibility in that situation. So I find it very frustrating as a woman is that we have to be looking out for our best interests all the time and even if something negative happens to us that we aren't even absolved of the situation occurring. We, we should have, We should have prevented that from happening.
2: I was just gonna expand on what Chantel said and, and um, kind of try to merge the two worlds because I think what we what could be a solution to that is when we're having conversation with with men or other people that maybe don't feel the same and haven't experienced the same, what would be helpful to me is to not be dismissed in my concern. There's been times where I've been in relationships and I wanted to pick up the phone and said, Hey, I have to walk home on you know from a twelve o'clock at night shift can you talk to me on the phone? And the question is, is, you know, like what for, or, you know, just dismissing the concern for our, our own concern for our own safety is something that I've encountered. So if we can bring some awareness to that and have, you know, in our communities, everybody's looking out, it's kind of like that block watch program for kids. You hope that your neighborhood has a handful of houses that any kid can go to if they're in an unsafe situation. And I think women kind of need that in the world. We need other men and other women being aware of situations, you know, if we see somebody passing us on the street that's unsafe and then we come up against somebody who <laughs> looks like they might be harmed by that person we can say, Hey, you know, in that direction I'd be a little bit careful because there's somebody there that just doesn't seem like they're going to look out for your best interest and just watch out for each other a bit.
5: Yeah. I was going to say, I find it so interesting because so much is revealed in like, where our conversation is even starting which is the most overt and like extreme kind of danger that women can face and that's just our bottom line that's just a bit normalized for us um but then if we get into territories of like implied violence or how many different types of situations that women need to overthink and outthink anyone in their environment you can really see the lack of support for women and i think of something as simple as trying to go to the doctor and whether my doctor will support me in listening to my body and and, uh, believing my body signals. uh, How is someone going to treat me during a pap smear all the way to if I have a professor and they give me a great grade and we have some kind of like positive energy, how much do I read behind that positive energy? Who are my male caregivers? Just, just we're so primed to, or I'll speak for myself, I feel so primed to double check that someone's not trying to interfere or, or mold my experience, so that I'm always scanning my environment and trying to tailor myself to my environment. So I think that's a huge issue with authenticity and being able to move in the world as women as well. It's just the spectrum, it's crazy.
1: Hearing you say that, I'm just it's making me think just about, um, I feel like for women we're expected to like you said, adapt environment. environment, we're expected to change based off of who we're in contact with. And it's frustrating because then when you don't change yourself to what their idea of what you should be or how you should act in that situation, all of a sudden you're the bad guy or... You're, you're a bitch, or you're being too aggressive, you're being too assertive, even if you're just setting that boundary. Like, no, I don't want you to buy me a drink, I can buy my own drink, thank you very much. Like, no, I don't want to give you my phone number. And then all of a sudden, because you're not complying, you're not changing based off of what they want you to be. You're this horrible person. So it's just this idea, I feel like that women literally exist for everybody else except for ourselves. And if you live for yourself, well, then there's something wrong with you. Oh, my goodness, that
3: <laughs> is so true. I like it. That just like makes me jump into something that's it's it's pretty related to this topic, but just like on the note of like our safety and molding ourselves to like to be suited to the environment that we're in, even thinking just like all the times, like if you've ever rejected a man or whoever or a partner, and then they get angry at you. And then all of a sudden you're fearing for your safety. But, like, just saying no. People tell us, like, you can just say no. It's all a consent thing. But then oftentimes, like, I've said no in the past. And, like, then I've genuinely feared that I was going to be, like, physically hurt. So it's it's actually crazy. Like, there's just so many different situations that I feel, like, like on the opposite side. Like, men wouldn't have the same problem. But... Like if it happens towards us, I just feel like, I don't know. I, it's it's I don't know where
4: I was going with this, but I just well, definitely. I, I,
2: yeah.
4: I think to piggyback off of that is that you know we've kind of been conditioned to to being silent at times. So you know being aware of our surroundings and having our intuition come in, but we have to pick and choose sometimes when we want to speak out on these things. And you know it's starting to happen right now with the Me Too movement starting a couple of years ago people are starting to speak out and say their truths, but then people are being like, well, why didn't she say anything in the moment? And why are these things only coming out now? And it's kind of like, we're not even allowed to speak our truths when we feel like it, when we feel compelled to. And so that I do think is one thing being a woman is we always have to gauge how we come across to somebody else and and gauge on you know when we want to speak our truth and gauge when it's appropriate to say no and i'm happy that now it's being more welcomed but it's definitely something that we're going to be needing to overcome because we people are so used to everybody including other women are so used to us being silent for the most of time and Mm -hmm. and keeping it all in and not necessarily expressing our truth in every single moment Okay. But I just have
3: a really quick thing to add on to the end of that. Like so I read a really interesting quote the other day. I saw someone shared this on Facebook and it, like just jumping on the Me Too movement. So it says it's it's interesting how every woman knows another woman that has been raped, but no man knows a rapist. So like from yep. just from mm. you saying that like it's it's oh, true yes. to tell other women that their experiences aren't valid and that they're wrong. So like it's just it's it's just crazy to me. Anyway, that was all I had to add on to that. I just felt like it added on to the Me Too movement. But
0: I just thought that was interesting. I think that's super interesting. One thing I was going to bring up is in relation to men and trying to even get them to understand our experience, when I've gone to, as a gay woman, when I go to the gay bar and I bring like my straight friend or I bring like an alpha male, for example, who I'm friends with or even just any sort of regular male, they're always like, and say like a guy comes up and, and approaches them and hits on them, they're like, oh, that's why I don't like gay guys. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, look how he just approached me. And I'm like, do you know how many times my ass has been grabbed inappropriately at the bar, at a party with my friends, at whatever? I'm like, that's Not something that- at a bar. No, like- just in I, general. <laughs> I remember I was at my friend's 30th birthday party and her boyfriend's friend just randomly grabbed my ass in the basement. I'm like, what? And like for men, that go to a gay bar and who are straight. And I've, I have a lot of straight male friends who like go to the bar with me. Another guy hits on them and they're like, Ugh. and they're like, they're all upset about it. And I'm like, this is the reality that women in your life live with every day. We are constantly approached. We are grabbed when we're not asked We're we say, no, it doesn't happen. We're incessantly hit on. I'm like, this is happening to you one night. I'm like, this has happened. And I'm like, like Haley. And, I haven't been through anything traumatic in my life and I have had experiences like that. So it's so, it's an eye-opening opportunity when I'm with men to be like, yeah, I'm like, this is normal. I'm like, just brush it off and walk the other way. Like this happens all the time to women. What you're experiencing happens all the time to us.
2: Yeah, when you're saying that you also haven't been through anything traumatic, what, what you're saying like about, you know, the bar situation, I think, brings up what Chantel said, which is, you know, there's always questions that come into play about where you were, what you were wearing, all these, all of these things. I can tell you, when I used to work in the West End of Vancouver, I had a job at the Shoppers Drug Mart, I had to walk home about five blocks at midnight. And for those of you that don't live in Vancouver, the downtown West End is the gay district. But I used to walk home, and I, and the situations that I encountered were insane. I was You know, one night I was walking home, talking on the phone for my own safety and two guys, probably I was in my twenties. So two guys probably around the same age, were just walking the opposite direction. One of them reached out and grabbed my chest. Another night, there was a dude hiding in a bush about a block from my house saying, Hey, come over here. Come on, come over here. And like, I can tell you situations like that happen so frequently. And what's really fascinating to me is I actually didn't even start processing them until the last couple of years. And now that I have two children to look out for, to raise on how they should be handling situations with consent, but also their own body awareness and their own rights and all of these topics that we're finally discussing a little bit. It adds to that, you know, I have to worry for my my own safety and my own situations, but I also have two kids of different genders that I have to educate in their own way and it's just, fascinating because the you know the conversations are endless I think what disturbs me
0: most in stories like that is like this is an insub- an assumption obviously but people think that's funny it's not funny, funny like... to grab somebody <laughs> who isn't in any sort of relationship with you, first of all. It's not like your partner's like, hey, that's that's a totally different thing. But they're just randomly walking by you on the street and like they're laughing about it as they walk away. Like it's not funny and it's not it's not right.
2: Yeah, and at the time, I think I wasn't even processing how wrong that was. We're kind of taught as females, I feel, that when there's an advance made on us, it's a compliment. So, yeah. oh, I must look great tonight. Huh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, to, to take that into consideration and I'll tell one more story and then let somebody else take over here. But my husband and I, um, we're actually coming up on our 10 year anniversary in a week and a bit. And we started dating, you know, about 15 years ago. And there was a conversation that we had about the night that we had met and what real, what made me realize that I had normalized all these things that had happened in my life was him you know going over the night that we met and saying hey do you remember we were standing in at this wine and cheese event and we were standing in a stairwell and we were talking and some guy walked by and slapped your ass and like walked in and whatever and i was like i have no recollection of that so he retold the story and i and then i remembered you know i remember what the guy looked like and my partner my husband thought that i knew that person and that was a very profound conversation for me because for the person that I ended up dating and being in a relationship with to remember that situation and for me to discount it. And then for him to just assume that that guy must have known me for him to behave in that way and to have witnessed it was kind of validation that, Oh my gosh, how many times have I experienced situations like that? Okay. Well (laughs) like way more to count.
5: Yeah. And I think a lot of women have those experiences where they're uh, moderating themselves between two men, two important men in their life sometimes, or their their boss or their father, or and so they might experience an assault and it increases the isolation with them not wanting to to tell other trusted males maybe in their life because they're afraid of their reaction. You know, what do you do if you get assaulted and you can't tell your husband? What do you do? If something happened do you go to your male boss like these are I think women get wedged in between these dynamics and and
4: balancing whether
5: it's it's the cost personal cost to them to speak up
4: and I've also found I'm working in the service industry as well as that you know maybe speaking your own truth might prevent you from getting a decent tip or for these regular customers to come back to the the restaurant or establishment and i've been told many times by managers like just be nice to that one like he spends so many thousands of dollars or whatnot and you know you are have to choose whether you want to compromise your integrity in the situation for yourself whether you're going to make the dollar whether you're going to jeopardize your job and you're kind of always weighing all these things and your personal truth is never what is being most considered in in these moments i've had many inappropriate things happen to me especially working in bars and restaurants that i'm just i just take it because it's part of the job but then it's like okay if i'm taking it just part of the job what precedent am I am I actually setting? And if something happens that goes further, did I allow that to happen because I didn't set my boundaries up firsthand? And so it gets really difficult to be able to maneuver a lot of different establishments as we grow up as women because of these different factors that we have to consider as well.
1: I was just gonna tell a story in relation to the coworker situation. Um, I used to work in a group home for like three years and I had a male supervisor who was a house supervisor. And then there's like an office staff that supervises everything. The entire office is female. This is important to remember. So the male supervisor sexually harassed myself and several other female coworkers. I didn't say anything at first because I figured they probably wouldn't believe me anyways because I'm the only one. And then when I started hearing other women talking about it and I witnessed some of it against other women as well, Um, we were like, okay, let's all just go together. So we went, they didn't exactly say whether they believed us or not. They were just like, okay, like we'll talk to him. They talked to him, months went by, nothing was done about it. He continued to work, he continued to get all the shifts he wanted. So then finally we all kept complaining enough that we pissed them off basically. And they decided the best solution was to move him to a different house to supervise, which has an entirely male staff. And then I hear from other staff, the way that they're talking about the female staff so derogatory in front of clients that are high functioning enough that they can speak and understand everything. So then those clients are now disrespecting the female staff because they're hearing the way that these men are talking about us, how they would tap that ass and, Oh, her ass is so fat And like all this, like that's the nice things they said. That's not even the worst that was said. And this is also a staff who did drugs on shift who was caught doing a drug deal with clients in the van, and to my knowledge, still works there, but they did nothing about it. It was just normalized and it was acceptable. So like even telling female supervisors who you think would have your back, they don't.
3: I feel like in those cases too, like often as women, like a lot of us are honestly scared to stand up to men. And like going back to what Chantel mentioned too, about like being in the service industry, The amount of times as well that, like, I had such inappropriate things said to me. But I do remember one time I was, so I was bartending by myself. Like, there was no one else, like, out there on the floor that overheard this. And these two men sat at the bar. And it was towards the end of the night. And so one of them looked at me and said, are you wearing a bra? And, like, I think my jaw basically hit the bar at that point. And, like, that was one of the few times that, like, instead of thinking like, what will happen if I defend myself, I almost felt like the bar was like my safety net in between the two of us. And I just snapped. I said, why would you think that that's appropriate to ask me? And like the look on his face when I actually called him out on like such an inappropriate comment in front of his friend, I will say was very satisfying because he turned beet red and like he just kept apologizing, like, like admitted that what he said was super inappropriate. But like probably after working in that restaurant for five years the amount of comments that were made to me before I finally said something I'd say like you couldn't even count on two hands so the the feeling when you actually are able to call someone out and it's in front of someone else was was very very satisfying I I will say but I only did it once and people made comments to me for years so it really is easy to just like brush it off because you want to make that tip then it's like almost like we have I had like an imaginary line in the sand where, like, okay, if you like make little comments that'll be behind the line, it'll be okay. But then, like, you say one thing too far, it's over. Like, then I have to say something. But, like, I I definitely didn't speak up enough. But I think that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to get away from that industry was I just I felt so uncomfortable all the time. Like, I just felt like I was a piece of meat walking around and that I would be judged or fired if I stood up for myself. But the one time I did, it was okay which is starting to make me think like, I really do need to set those boundaries more in my everyday life. And I need to call men out on this more. And if you do it in front of another man, it seems to have more impact because then all of a sudden, like everyone can see that you're not the crazy one. I do that in air quotes because people like to say that we're crazy for expressing our feelings.
2: You're a drama queen. (laughs) If you express your feelings, you're a drama queen. Right. So I think, like, what's interesting about the restaurant industry, I don't know if you guys know, someone that I discounted based on image for years was Jane Fonda. And then I started to learn about the work that she's done. And one of the things and the in- initiatives that she's taken is in the US to do with the restaurant industry. So in the US, you can be paid in a lot of different places um, a very low wage. The reason you can be paid that is that if your tips make up enough to count as minimum wage, the restaurant owner doesn't have to pay you minimum wage. Jane Fonda is trying to change that, and I think she's doing it with Lily Tomlin, who's another like amazing actress from Grace and Frank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. great show, much? love it. But they do so much advocacy for women, and I think what we need to start realizing is that, you know, the reason she's passionate about changing that is because a lot of the people that are doing those jobs are in situations where they don't have a choice. And I think Ashley might, you know, work with women that are in situations in the downtown east side that are, you know, not not in safe places to work. And I think that if we can change some of the protocols and some of the, the situations that will allow women to have a choice of whether they're in a job that's safe. If you're paying somebody $3 an hour and they need to make that tip, they're not calling out the guy that's grabbing their butt as they walk away from the table. Mm-hmm. So if we change these things which you know the restaurant lobbyists were able to do in order to make that happen in the first place, then then we'll be setting up safer situations to begin with. and the trickle down will start to happen in the other um, places that need it even more drastically.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I have like two things to pipe in with that
0: about because I've worked in service for 15 years. I've worked in hospitality. And it's in, like in terms of talking out, like you say, Megan, I found a lot of my comfort came from the type of management that I had at the time. So there have been managers in places I've worked in my career where I know if I said something, no problem, my manager had my back, not a problem. So I had no problem kicking those people out or like letting them go. Obviously, sometimes I smiled and took it just like everybody else because I knew they were a high tipper or whatever, it's fine. But the service industry I think is one of the what's the right word thankfully I don't work in it anymore so my boss won't have a problem but um, it can be a very slimy underground crappy business especially for women and women make up the majority of the employee Mm -hmm. base and service and it's just it's crazy what people think they can get away saying to you as a server and think oh whatever it's fun or oh it's not a big deal I'm with my guy friends and I have been in some very 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 precarious situations and like some situations turn out good but the situation is usually so like on the line that it's like you either hold your ground and like fight back or like have your word like I've pulled men by the collar and been like sit in your chair or get out and then I've had dudes. I've I've had dudes too. <laughs> like we'll sit in their chair and say nothing. And then I have had guys go around and be like, "You're a fucking cunt. I'm getting in my car." And I'm like, "Like, mm-hmm. it's not my fault that you're over intoxicated and misbehaving. Like, if you can't handle yourself, don't go out." And those are situations that haven't gotten precarious when I've been forced by my management team to work alone in a building with not even not just another coworker, like not even not another male coworker who could have my back, but no other coworker in general, leaving me alone in the building. I have been assaulted as a server by being left alone in the building. And there's no backup for servers. And that that pay scale that you see in the US, we have it in Canada. It's just not as drastic. Servers get a reduced minimum wage because we make tips. Why? Why are we getting paid less than anybody else to do minimum wage? Like. It's still a minimum wage job we're not guaranteed a tip somebody can walk out and pay you nothing somebody can walk out and not pay their bill it happens all the time but we still get paid a reduced amount compared to everybody else in society Mm -hmm. because they assume that you make tips and it does put you in that precarious situation where you're dependent on your cash
4: i was just gonna say like it just reminds me of my time living in in montreal and i I lived and worked in the service industry for about eight years over there and it's basically for the most part where i got conditioned to what i allowed in like from mostly men in my life and so you know we were forced we always had to wear high heels we always had to wear the uniform was always usually a short skirt it definitely showed showed cleavage we always had to have a full face of makeup hair done like we always had to have that ideal look that perfection look that you know the arm trophy arm candy look and I've had managers even say to me at times, no, just go sit on his lap for a bit, whatever, like, you know, like kind of auction me off to the nearest table in order to increase sales and increase tips. Oh, drink his bottle, just share it with him or whatnot. And that was part of my job for serving that particular table is that I would be willing to sit on the lap drink the champagne, increase the sales, get them to buy more, and then I'd get my $500 tip. And so I wanted the $500 tip. I also wanted to be working there. So I'd sit on the lap and I'd drink the champagne. And so it's it's with you know the tip thing being how I'm making my money, obviously my morals and value, that line gets pushed a little bit further and further away as to what I'm willing to accept. And then with my regular interaction with people, what I'm willing to accept is skewed as well. It's kind of like, well, you're going to do that with someone that you don't know, like someone in your actual life, you also are going to give them the same sort of leniency. So it it definitely has conditioned to what I am tolerant towards and what I allow in my life right now.
0: I agree. There was, um, there was an article that came out in Ottawa a few years ago, maybe like 5 or 6 years, I don't remember at the like the exact time frame, but it was from like an upscale casual restaurant, like Milestones or Cactus Club or Earls like it's an upscale casual place where you think everything would be good. And the article was a server who had come forward and or no, it was a manager who used to work for restaurant like that a moxie's or something and he basically said that he was instructed that if they came in the door and they applied and he didn't want to fuck her they didn't want to hire her
1: i think that was moxie's like oh my god yeah
0: if he didn't want to fuck her they didn't want him to hire her
1: yeah women are basically reduced to objects
0: go ahead hey ashley yeah Yeah. Yeah,
1: and i i I feel like
5: hearing us talk because I've been a, a waitress as well. So I'm really vibing on what you guys are saying. I think of translating that reality into like immigrant populations or people who aren't allowed to work here or people who have to work under under the table in menial based jobs or, or you know, if if you look at sex work street level, I'm talking, you would think with an outside perception that it is the one of the most, most permissive you know, here come the air quotations again for, for the podcast, thanks for starting that man, <laughs> the permissive <laughs> industry. You wouldn't believe what it's interesting speaking to those workers, what their idea of salining is and what the types of violations that occur to, to women who are working on the street. And I'm not talking only violence, but just something simple as will you wear a condom and people not valuing that, like it's rampant. On the there's a newsletter that comes out every day. It's called the Red Light Alert, and sex workers just read it. And it's the latest assaults when it's happened, the type of car, and what exactly happened in the assault with the description of the person. And it changes every single day. Some some days it's three pages long. Some some uh, weeks it's you know only four categories, and and they kind of group them according to the level of violence or. From someone not listening to someone dragging someone behind their car or, or hurting them with their vehicle. So looking into like spaces where women are safe to even do that kind of work is is a whole different ballgame than even what we're talking about. And I, I mean to honor it all. I don't mean to um, minimize anything that we're talking about at all. It's just the more vulnerable you are, the more this, the more the volume that you're going to have to deal with just skyrockets.
2: Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, like, if we take this, all these things that we are discussing and kind of come up with some solutions, something that I'm super passionate about is how media consumption impacts our mental health. And I think the sexualization in media is directly linked to a lot of these things that we're experiencing as women. Um, and I want to clarify that I am not somebody to censor a story. Like I'm, I'm totally okay with very intense subjects being discussed and being depicted in film and television, all of these things. Um, A quick example of the industry for those of you that are not in the industry or have never been in the acting industry, there are stipulations in female contracts that are not there in male contracts. I was in an independent film once and it was going to be, it was picked up, film was done, okay? The filming had been done. This film was going to be marketed to men aged 14 to 40. I say men lightly because 14 year old, in my opinion, is not a man. So what did they want to do? Well, it's going to be marketed to men 14 to 40, so we need a sex scene. Haley, will you go back and do a sex scene? That was the question. So if we can start talking about these, situations that people that consume media aren't even aware of. But if we can get to a point where, and I know we're moving in that in, in, into that area, you know, sets are starting to employ people that are there to watch the sex scenes that are being recorded, making sure, you know, consent is that, that the actors are comfortable and that the scenes are okay. And that's a great place to start. But I think just conscious marketing so rather than looking at it going we're going to market this to ages 14 to 40 let's add a sex scene how about depicting a scene in a restaurant with a waitress that's safe how about depicting a situation where like if a guy is being a jerk to a waitress we're educated that that's not okay rather than that's the funny scene Mm -hmm. um and i think you know then then the same goes for media like if we're watching a movie and there's a there's a storyline about a woman who's a sex trade worker and is in a very unsafe situation everybody watching that should know that that's not an okay situation we shouldn't be watching it in a glamorized way that makes us think that it's funny or that she deserved it or any of that so it can get really intense yeah I've been talking for a while but I'm very happy about this so I guess like (laughs) as an artist who makes Like, I write music, that's what I've been focusing on the last little while, and I'm super conscious of the words and the lyrics that I choose based on who I know is going to consume it. I'm not going to censor what I'm going to sing about, but I'm going to try to do something that's going to ultimately be positive at the end of the day. The example that I would give that I think could bring this home is Billie Eilish has a song that's called Bellyache. She is one of the top performing artists in the world, and she's great, right? Who are her fan base? Well, her fan base are predominantly women and young young girls. Her song, Bellyache, it's, it was her and her brother imagining what it would be like to murder somebody. So if I were to tell you the lyrics in the song, sitting all alone, mouth full of gum, my friends aren't, are, aren't far, in the back of my car lay their bodies. I'm too young to go to jail. It's kind of funny. So if we're conscious of that then maybe we can change it so that she can sing about that topic, but let's shift the narrative. Let's not write something that's saying, I'm too young to go to jail. It's kind of funny. Let's talk about the, the sad part of that or the, you know, let's find help through that song. <laughs> Who can I reach out to if I'm feeling this way? I don't know. Anyway, somebody take over, but does that get like the conversation going at all for how we can make these changes and maybe healthy um, model healthy stuff through media so that, people can just kind of understand and navigate the situation a little bit clearer.
0: Yeah. So the goal always is to like bring the podcast kind of full circle and to hopefully leave with some solutions and positivity and stuff like that. There's now I'm back to two. I was at one on things I want to touch on. (laughs) Of course, I'm going to come back to you and what you said Haley in one sec, but I want to go to Ashley and I'm wondering if you can, bring some light or some picture for us based on your experience working on the downtown East side and with lower income populations and sex workers on how different the risk factors are, or what the experiences might be that you've seen for women in that situation that we unfortunately don't have representation for here today.
5: Well, yeah, I'll say a few things. I mean, normally when we don't feel safe, we feel comfortable He's calling 911. And I know this is becoming a really hot topic, and the, the police are having a lot of scrutiny right now, which I think is really great. But a lot of the workers, they just, they're stuck between what society is not willing to look at with how many men are actually going to have sex with frontline workers, like uh, street level workers. I'm not even talking escort strip clubs, like the really high people, people who are just out on the streets. There's not enough uh, safe spaces for women to do their work, so they end up in cars and alleys. And then, if something goes wrong, it's basically just an amplified version of everything that we've discussed here today. How is a prostitute supposed to speak? What you know? How do you even start the level of projection of like, were you wearing, wearing a short skirt? I mean, it's kind of laughable in this context, honestly. So how do you how do you approach violence when you might be surrounded in people who think violence has been accepted part of your reality and maybe that you shouldn't be doing that? So safe spaces are huge. There's also a confluence of of issues with, um, you know, using substances in correlation with coping mechanisms. And I I don't want to say that all sex work is linked to trauma, but there's a lot of literature around that as well. So basically the more you add a level of vulnerability, whether it's being racialized, whether it's coming from like a complete isolation with having no family, whether there's, huge issues on the downtown east side with the murdered and missing indigenous women which has been a long-standing topic that has garnered very little support from Vancouver Canada the Prime Minister you know the police you know it's it's starting to get very limited coverage but you know a lot of the indigenous people I speak to they say you know our daughters are missing our our mothers our sisters are missing so I don't want to speak on behalf of them, but when I speak to these people, they just can't even fathom how low they must be in the in the societies regarding societies regard to not even have their very lives. And and statistically, the highest proportion of women being killed are by their partners. If you in Canada, I mean, I don't know statistically globally, but these are these are hair-raising issues, and and I think is very much about us kind of being caught in our own bubble too, maybe about what safety looks like for other people and us wanting a bit. Of course we want safety for ourselves, but there's always someone who is in, in an even worse position. I think being less punitive is a huge part of that and creating safe spaces and not moralizing things are really, really important to just saving lives
2: and qual- and providing quality of life for women. I think a lot of people too, when they want to get involved in making changes, they look out. of their own country or outside of their own city. And so I don't think that people are often as aware of what's going on in their own neighborhoods. It's more like, like, you know, the focus for Canada right now is look at what the States is doing, right? But there's a lot of stuff going on, like in each of the cities that we live in. And I think educating one another and educating ourselves on, you know, women in different areas and what they're experiencing. I read something recently about the amount of incarcerated women and what the percentage of sexual assault is in that and i can't remember offhand what the thing is but it's super high and it just made me so sad because you can take all i don't know if if you have a support system where you're able to reach out you're able to talk to people you're you have family you're able to find that safe space or even not even talk about it but just get yourself into a safe situation that is great but then there's a ton of women like ashley said that are in these situations where there is no support system there's nobody being responsive to their pleas for help there's nobody i mean if you have relatives that are missing and nobody's looking for them and it's not on the news what are you going to feel about something that happened on the street to you right we're just not we're not supporting people and i i feel like i want to educate myself a lot more on what's going on in my own city I have a connection to the downtown East Side because my grandfather actually lived in um, an old hotel on Hastings for years. He was an alcoholic. He left my dad's family. And so when I see the people that are in those neighborhoods, I have a huge amount of compassion for trying to understand their situations and what's gotten you know them in these situations where they don't have the same support systems that I have. But I think there's a lot of work to be done because even you take somebody like myself who has a connection to a relative who's lived in a really crappy hotel that was condemned and was shut down for being, you know, totally unlivable. I'm still not, not doing anything that I would value as making enough of a difference for the community that I'm a part of. And so what about, you know, people that have no connection to it? How are we going to get and interest to make these situations safer. Because I do believe that once we address certain issues, the trickle down happens or the trickle up or whatever we want to say, I think that we have to start somewhere in order to to improve anything.
1: I think we need to shift the blame off of the person. (laughs) Everybody blames the individual for their problems, but if we address the issues of community, the community be stronger and you'd have less issues. So it needs to stop being like an individual blame. Everybody needs to take blame in what's happened in people's lives. Even just thinking of my own situation, being a sexual trauma survivor, I can think of so many people who I think there should be some blame there. They should have taken some part of that. And the person that actually assaulted me, I don't blame just that person. I blame all of society because they've normalized this behavior. They've made it okay. They've made it my fault, but I didn't ask for it. So as a society, we should be taking responsibility for educating people about rape culture, educating people about, like, sex street work, or educating people about LGBTQ issues and rights and all of that, because once we do that as a community and we work together, we're not going to have these issues. We can always do better as a community. I definitely agree with what you're saying.
3: And, like, I feel like so many people, they're just so uncomfortable having like conversations that they deem to be again air quotes like awkward or it but like those are the most important conversations that we need to be having and like if we're not having them then we're not like making any progress in a new direction and like even if we just think about like women haven't even been able to vote for that long like technically we've made a lot of progress but like we still live in a patriarchal society as much as a lot of people like to think that we don't and like more conversations like this really need to be happening for sure because I feel like a lot of people don't even really admit that this is a thing like I even know other women that like don't actually feel like women are treated differently and I don't know if that's just because like they haven't had like I don't know like anything bad happen to them like a man treating them poorly or things like that but I uh no I definitely think that this is something that really just needs to be talked about a lot more because women often do fear for their safety and we act in a way that we think will keep us safe, even if it's not true to ourselves, like we've mentioned. And I think like this education needs to start earlier, like even in schools, like instead of telling women to not wear spaghetti straps and short skirts when the boys can wear whatever they want, like tell the boys to stop over sexualizing women. Like, we we shouldn't have to change ourselves because it could like offend someone else like we i think it just it, the education needs to start so much earlier because if we think about how early this starts like it's crazy even just like women's health like i feel like so many women have so many like questions about things that are happening with like their menstrual cycles and like there's so many so many problems that we can have in like our reproductive system But so often, like you go to a male doctor, this has happened to me personally, and you express concern for something that's wrong with your body, and then they just try to tell you, oh, it's okay, like you're just, a lot of women have a lot of pain, you'll be fine, take birth control. Things like that, like I just feel like there needs to be so much more education on so many more topics pertaining to women. And like, we need help, like we can't, we need to stop feeling like we're isolated. Like women need to stand up for other women, like, men that support women need to talk more about this to other men like the it's just mm-hmm. it's an education thing like we need to have these tough conversations so much earlier to prevent so much worse things from happening
4: i think that and- language is also should be considered too oh, yeah. um you know with if somebody if a woman experiences a rape it's always like oh she was raped so something happened to her instead of putting the onus on the person that is doing the act no he raped her or this person raped her and you know because we we become the victim and we become things that are happening to us and that can be preventative as opposed to like being educated the other person being educated and having to take ownership of what their actions are and how their actions are affecting another human being and so even just changing how we talk about what is going on to women and two women's bodies um, in a different way might actually also shift with how women's bodies are being perceived mm-hmm. by the other person.
2: And that's why I want to see the the media industry take note of this. And I think that we need to realize that those messages become ingrained. And it's also related to things we haven't talked today, like eating disorders and self-esteem issues, which I've probably struggled with my whole life because of the industry. But I think Like we've focused around sexual assault, but there's so many issues with self-worth that we deal with um, that's marketed to us and we need to shift that. And maybe the reason it hasn't shifted is because a lot of the stories are being written by certain demographics of people. Um, I actually work with kids like in a
1: kindergarten room a lot of the time. And I remember from this year, there was a little boy, um, extremely aggressive little boy, actually put me off work for a few days with a strained jaw ligament because he slapped me so hard. (laughs) <laughs> but I would watch him with these little girls And he would hurt these little girls And they, they everyone was afraid of him But they always wanted to hang out with him And it was always so exciting when he gave them attention So he would move his arm towards them And you could see them flinch and they're scared And then he would take their hand instead of hit them And you could just see their face would change And they were so happy, like, he's not hitting me And I'm watching these little girls be trained for an abusive relationship And in my head, I'm like, I can't How is this acceptable? Or the little boy trying to kiss the girls on the playground. And the teacher's like, oh, that's so cute. And little girls are running away. And I'm like, why are you not stopping him and telling him that's not okay? They don't want you to touch them. Don't touch them. But they're like, oh, that's cute. Oh, he's hugging her while she's squirming trying to get out of his arms. Oh, no, that's okay. So you're you're teaching these little boys that that's acceptable behavior. And then you're teaching these little girls that that's okay to accept that when it's not. And that's like four-year-olds the things i've seen in schools horrifies me it horrifies me and i can't believe that we're like allowing this to be okay to teach these kids that this type of behavior is acceptable yeah like that's why i was saying i feel like the education
3: needs to start so much earlier because like what you're saying like s- small children start exhibiting these behaviors and like it's it's so normalized now like we need like we need a new normal <laughs> the world is changing enough that like this this really does like need to be a big shift, and like I hope that with everything that's been happening lately, that um, this will start to be something that gets talked about more, like in the reopening of schools. Like maybe they'll just start reevaluating education as a whole. And because I really do feel like people aren't learning how to be like decent humans. Like you're learning how to you're learning how to memorize things, write a test, and then pursue post-secondary education, but you're not learning how to be a good human, how to support others like how to support other women. Like boy, like just no one is learning how to support and care for each other. We're just learning how to get onto the next thing and make money and I really think that that's where like there's a big hole in the education system. Like we're not learning what's really important.
2: Well, I I would agree with you, but I think that um, it's really unfortunate. I, with my experience with the school system, I don't think it's gonna happen in the schools. Like I don't know if you know, but sexual health doesn't have a budget in the public school system in vancouver so a lot of the times it's taught by the gym teacher and is the gym teacher male or female predominantly what are you going to take a guess on they have no education they're not you know you, they have to have a budget literally like the school down the street for me has to choose are we going to spend money on sexual health this year and hire an educator which would be like one or two days for the entire school um or are we going to you know, spend it on. I can't remember what the other one was, but it's something for the arts, most likely. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's just not going to happen in the school system. There's a lot of parents that are that don't want to talk about it or uncomfortable, and and will not even send their kids on those days. And I'm not judging that. I think people need to educate their their families where they're comfortable. Um, but I think it needs to be a lot more accessible than the school system.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Well, I'd have to say for myself that, um, you know, with the Me Too movement and working within film and television and the entertainment industry as a whole, and then also with the Black Lives Matter movement, that for me personally, my threshold has shifted. I have changed for sure with what I will allow and what I want to stand up for. and when i want to say like this is not okay and so if i'm having this shift and change i know that there's millions of other people that have been moved and are not going to allow the same treatment of themselves be that way moving forward and so i think that with both of these huge movements that are happening globally that i think that the next generation is going to have just better teachers and people that are willing to stand up for what they feel is right in certain moments and i think that you know the shift is happening but it's slowly happening but i think the next generation is going to have more education from their parents and the people around them and what they are going to be standing for moving forward. So I do think that things are changing. It's just because it's happening in front of our eyes. It seems like it's slow, but I've I've changed. I don't even think I can go back to work in the service industry anymore because I can't allow someone to disrespect me anymore, um, either for my race or for my, my, my sex. I can't do it anymore. I will have to say something, so I'm not compliant, and I will not be able to work in that industry anymore. And so, I've shifted and changed. So I think that there's millions of other people that have shifted and changed. And so I, I, I'm I'm positive and hopeful for shifts and changes for the future.
0: i um, I think it's important to always be positive and hopeful. But Haley, I can't. But agree with you that I don't think it's gonna happen in schools either. Like in Ontario recently, Doug Ford reeled back sex education to, I think, like the policy that existed in like the 60s. There's not even sex education for LGBT youth in our high schools in Ontario. Why? Why? So we're teaching, like, you need to know it's okay to be who you are and to experience these things and how to experience them safely we don't have sex education for lgbt youth in ontario we don't even have up-to-date sex education for straight youth in ontario not to mention dealing with children who are gender diverse or gender nonconformist or whatever like you want to use and what kind of support in the schools do we have for our kids who might be like gender diverse like what if my Stepson wants to wear a pink t-shirt to school. Like, I have to worry how the kids are going to bully him. There should be education around that, of course. But Which
2: there is now. There's anti-bullying day, which is pink shirt day. So that's what we need. <laughs> we need days to bring awareness to certain <laughs> subjects, not that that's going to fix the pink shirt.
0: I agree. No. But what I'm saying is, is when we have political-level stuff that's trickling down to rolling sex education back to where we were in the 60s, of my language but what the fuck is going on right now Mm
2: -hmm. that's why we have to use the things that we have as tools like social media to bring awareness like the black lives movement a lot of those positive changes we're starting to see in, in the the work towards equality for people is through social media or media in general right it's because we're getting the information out and and you're never going to reach everybody but maybe there's there's marketing for kids help phone line and all of these things where people Mm -hmm. that can that want access will know it exists if you don't know it exists you can't ask for help if you know that there's a a phone line for being humanly trafficked or if you know that there's a phone line for you know i I don't know i don't think phone lines are the answer 100 percent i'm just saying like educated educating people through the the media that we're already using is going to reach more people than finding a workshop for somebody to attend that might not be allowed to go because their parents don't want them to go
0: that's why I loved 13 reasons why <laughs> like I don't know if anybody's seen that show but it conquered I know, know Ashley smiling because she knows that I love the show too but it conquered teen issues like I watched that show and it's based in the US and I think the situation in Canada can be quite different especially when it comes to gun violence and like guns in schools and stuff like that but It conquered issues that teens face that, like, I, like, if they were happening when I went to high school, they didn't happen to me and I wasn't aware of them. But like, they're a real thing for kids now. Like, if you watch that show, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's insane what teenagers have to go through. Like the amount of bullying and harassment and stuff like that for being different. Like, I don't know, like things are changing and shifting constantly. And I do believe like Chantel said, they are getting better and there is always hope. But I feel like we need to just always do more. And how do we do that? How do we come together and like create these changes? You know, that's part of what the podcast is about is opening mindset, creating changes, reaching more people, start sparking those uncomfortable conversations that you don't want to have like Megan talked about. Like this one, you know, people might look at this episode and go, oh, it's a bunch of women sitting around talking about men. They're they're probably going to be smash talking men the whole time. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But But like, Yeah. Like, I feel like that's the stereotype around this episode or what people might perceive about this episode, which isn't the goal. And I don't know. I think it's just incremental steps and stay the journey and fight for change. And hopefully it will continue to get better. I mean, if we look at LGBTQ youth or like rights for LGBTQ people, they have come so far in like the last 20 to 25 years. Even like for women, if we go back to women, like Megan, you said, I think it was you who said like women haven't even been able to vote for that long. I'm pretty sure we've been able to vote since 1920. How much vote our weight, how much weight our vote held during that time I don't know because I was not even an embryo or a fetus at that time obviously. <laughs> but I mean, we haven't been able to vote for that long. There haven't been women's rights or gay rights or anything for that long, but we are optimistically and with hope moving into a more progressive society where things are shifting where the youth of our of today are going like more empowered more like women will fight for jobs that they wouldn't fight for before i remember reading something once where men will look at an application for a job and they might not have all of the qualifications but they're like i'm applying and women will look at a job posting and they'll read it and they'll be like oh i don't have all of the things they're looking for i'm not even going to submit and i think that says a lot about how we think about ourselves versus about how men think about themselves Mm
2: -hmm. when you said that we're moving towards change i think you're you're right about that but i also think there's a lyric in one of my songs but also i'm just going to flat out say that I, <laughs> I read you know this concept somewhere so it's not completely original to the point that i'm not some genius but it's the minute we stop fighting they'll strip away our rights mm. and to me that applies to equality for any group of people that applies to racism anti-semitism women's rights all of these issues i think The minute we ease up, people forget that it's a problem. There's a reason there's people that still deny that the Holocaust ever existed or ever happened. And when those people pass away in a few years, the survivors of the Holocaust are no longer there to tell their stories. And people will have even more reason to say this didn't happen. There's a reason that, you know, racism is denied as existing and women's rights and all of these things. So great. We've made this progress. But we have to keep going, we have to keep educating, we have to keep talking, because the second we back down, we go back.